0: Hi everybody, I'm Scott. Hello, I'm Julie. And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast.
1: Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface.
0: Yes, and uh, this is episode number 275 and uh, we're out at sea somewhere. <laughs> I don't know where Master <laughs> and Commander is what we're going to talk about today. Um boy, which when was that made?
1: This is from 2003 and uh and no expense or time limit was spared. It's 138 minutes long. But you know, it zooms by.
0: It does. It it flies by. It's a terrific yeah. movie.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's really so well-structured because you've got some big battle scenes and everything, but they're, they're basically three big scenes that are spaced out through the movie. And then the rest of the time you have shipboard life and the friendship of the doctor and the captain. And you have all the narrative strands. I mean, it's a really complexly driven plot, even though it seems very simple.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so it's directed by Peter Weir. Mm-hmm. and uh stars russell crowe paul bettany and billy boyd our favorite,
2: <laughs> <laughs> favorite. On board.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah what could possibly go wrong with a hobbit on board
2: no never um, <laughs> never
0: <laughs> i love it yeah and uh, uh true and just a stunning the whole visual is are stunning and i learned a little bit about you know how they pulled that off and I, oh, yeah. it, it looks like, it just on the Wikipedia page, it said that they were at sea for only 10 days. Um, it says here, uh, only 10 days of the filming actually took place at sea on board Rose, which is the name of a boat that they had. And then mm-hmm. the other scenes were shot on a full-scale replica mounted on gimbals in a nearly 20 million gallon tank at Baja Studios in Mexico. And they have a photo of it on Wikipedia. Okay, and the tank
1: is the one that was used for making Titanic. Yeah. So, you know, it's a large scale. Well, some of the other stuff, and this may have also been on the Wikipedia page, that I found interesting, since we're going into the technical trivia, was while the film was in pre-production, there was a replica of Captain James Cook's, Cook's ship, the HMS Endeavor, and it was circumnavigating the globe. And so, they were able to fly two cameramen to the ship as they were about to round the horn, Hmm. which the HMS Surprise does. And so, all that footage of the seas from that part of the journey is genuine. Wow. And the Endeavor (laughs) sailors put on the costumes that were kept on board for displays and ran the ship while that was going on.
0: Holy cow. Nice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And
1: this was also the first movie to ever film on the Galapagos Islands. So, all those crazy scenes of the landscape and everything, Mm -hmm. those were at the Galapagos Islands. Wow. Um, And Peter Weir, who sounds just like, I think he he had to be a huge fan of the books. He helped write the screenplay. And Mm -hmm. anybody who's read the books, these events are taken from the first three books and put together into a cohesive story. And... But there are a ton of details in it that if you've read any of these Patrick O'Brien series of – it's a 20-book series and then 20, number 21 is part of a book he was writing and he died. But all these tiny details are all in there for people who've read the books. Hmm. They just It's like the books are coming to life. And when I first saw it, I had not um, – Read the books. I then went off and started reading them. And then when I came back and saw it a second time, I went, "Oh my gosh, this and this and this <laughs> and this." And um, but the reason I was saying a stickler for um, authenticity is one of the things he did, which probably drove the budget way up there, was the way that the rope is done now. It it twists to the left hand side. They it uh, a left hand. Now modern rope has a right-hand lay sorry. In Napoleonic times, it would have had a left-hand lay, So they had 27 miles of rope for the rigging made specially, so it was the right kind of rope. Wow. and I'm like, "Oh pal, nobody's <laughs> looking. Wow. I mean, I know you are." And then all the timepieces on the ship, which I didn't notice, but of course they're all there, were made by a, Br- a Bruget, mm-hmm. which is a luxury watchmaker company that did period timepieces. For this alone, and I was like, "Okay, really seriously, you could have had it cheaper. Maybe we could have had a second movie.
0: You oh, know, that's cool
1: because it cost $150 million.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I hope one of those clocks is hanging on the director's wall. Oh office. my gosh, for
1: sure, it has <laughs> oh, to be. And maybe uh, he's got a pocket watch
0: too. Yes, maybe so. But how how wonderful! I love those details. That's just fun. Yeah. Oh
1: yeah, and it's it's really the sign of. Somebody who loves what he's doing. Yeah, for yeah, sure. More than anything, I think. But, yeah, so um, evidently this movie was not a popular success. I mean, it made $210 million, but but when you've spent $150 million, there's not much profit there. Mm. And it was supposed to be the beginning of a series, but they could never do it. And I saw something somewhere that said so they were going to try and reboot it.
0: Wow. So it wasn't... Um... That's the reason why they didn't make it any more is cuz they right, only because, made 212 or 210 oh yeah, or whatever. because
1: Russell Crowe would have done more.
0: Really? Okay.
1: He uh, bought the violin he was playing because they didn't have enough money. Oh wow. in the budget. Mm-hmm. He learned to play the violin. So he's <laughs> playing the violin. I don't I don't know if we're hearing the violin being mm-hmm. played by him, but he is actually playing the violin. He wow. took lessons and he said it was the hardest thing he ever did. Paul Bettany <laughs> Not only took cello lessons so they could actually both authentically play together, but he went to um, let's see it was the Royal College of Surgeons in London so he could learn to use 18th century surgical instruments. Holy
0: smokes. <laughs> I mean
1: everybody seemed highly invested well, in this. Well, they whole were, thing. yeah.
0: This is great. Yeah. Yeah. How awesome. Yeah. Cuz I mean it certainly feels authentic, but you know what do I know? It, it, but the uh oh, yeah. yeah, and and the whole movie takes place on this ship. You know, other than the, there's a couple times they leave the ship to to go on the land, but um, right. But really, th- they're never home at, at all in this whole movie. They're they're just out there. You know, it's just incredible, mm-hmm. just incredible, and and just the scenes. You know, people just climb in the rigging and. You know that 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 takes an athlete. It looks like to me to to be able to do some of that stuff too.
1: Yeah, that and you know I was thinking of the details, like showing everybody slung in their hammocks during the storm below the decks, yeah. showing um, the uh, when they're pulled in to get provisions, the boats all coming out, people passing supplies up, and I mean they went to great lengths to show all these details of. Here's how life would have been. The animals that are penned in on the deck. I mean, that was reading the books, was when it was fleshed out for me that I was like, okay, sure. If you're going to have pork, you have to have a pig. So they carry all these animals with them.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And I never thought about that. You know, that they is- showed them getting e- eggs from under the hen. Yeah, and I and was all just going to
0: say that. It's like, you know, they saw the a person go and take an egg from the hen. It's like, who gets that egg? <laughs> yeah. You know, is that the, the captain? You know, just Come on. Gets oh yeah. The captain, the captain gets the egg. It
2: gets,
1: oh. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Obviously. Was also, it was also Killick, I think might've been getting it. And he's the captain's
0: steward. Yeah. 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 You know, yeah. That's something dinner else. And that's so something forth. else. Cooks,
1: cooks his toasted cheese and
0: <laughs> all that. Yeah. And, and something they, they alluded to that I guess I don't fully understand is, The crew that was on that ship, were they volunteer or were they (laughs) pressed into service?
1: Some of them were pressed Uh and some of them were signed up. Okay. Yeah, and so... um, And this is
0: during the Napoleonic Wars.
1: Yeah. And when they pressed people, they just went in through a place and grabbed people and took them onto the ship.
0: That's amazing.
1: It's not nice. And there is actually one of the books where that's part of what they talk about.
0: Oh, really? Okay.
1: They're in England, Mm. and they're like, well, we need more men, and there are no men here. Mm. So, go get them. Wow. Yeah, it's not nice, but it's just how it is. So, um, yeah, and and think about if something like that was made with today's sensibilities, they'd be Mm. busy, you know, doing a lot of talk to tell us how that's wrong. Instead... Mm You picked up on it and went, wait, what happened here? (laughs) But that was just life then. Yeah. And so um, we have just launched into talking about all the trivia and everything, but I probably should say uh, this is like an action thriller at sea movie set during Napoleonic times. It's Captain Jack Aubrey, who is uh, the captain of a small ship called the HMS Surprise, and he has been given orders to track down a French ship, the Archeron, which is um, creating havoc with the British ships near South America, and so they're out there trying to get them. And this French captain is truly a worthy adversary. Hmm. And at one point, there was a part where I felt like this is like the Wrath of
2: Khan, where people are going, <laughs>
1: "Good going, Captain." He's oh, like, man. "I did nothing but get caught with my britches down," as Cap you know, Captain Kirk said that. But I was like, "Yeah." This is exactly. Yeah, what I was thinking. And it, you
0: remember, we talked about Balance of Terror. You know that the original series episode, right? Where they were, you know, it was Captain Kirk against a Romulan commander, and uh, it, it it reminded me of that.
1: Mm-hmm. Because it's a real classic story of two worthy commanders. It's just whose side are you on, and it's that game of cat and mouse right who's going to prevail
0: yeah on ships (laughs) on ships in the ocean you know trying to outsmart each other and uh, yeah you'd think that you know there wouldn't be a lot to do you know on those ships you know it's like you just get within range and you start shooting at each other but man it was it was impressive stuff you know it's stuff that i hadn't even thought of but that i'd seen like on star trek you know um uh so so yeah but i thought it was just really great
1: Oh yeah, it's it really is well done. and oh, and I would say that, um if anybody does read the books or get interested, all the exploits are things that Patrick O'Brien pulled from people's actual letters, diaries, stories that other people were telling. And there's one person who Captain Jack Aubrey is modeled after, but these some of these adventures come from all kinds of places. so, um in the movie. Paul Bettany's character of um, Dr. Maturin, who is a the ship's doctor and a very good friend to Jack Aubrey, um, he has to do an incredible operation where you just go, that's impossible. Oh, no, it happened. Somebody had to do it. Hmm. And it was written about. Wow. So it got used in the story. Yeah. Um so a lot of these things that we're seeing are things that would have happened. They're not just made up.
0: That's really great. That's really great. Yeah. So yeah, in this movie then, you know, you're 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 deep into the lives of these people on this boat. And um yeah, they're they're engaging with this French ship that is better or newer. It's got a, a longer it's the range. New tech. Yeah, it's the new tech, right, exactly. <laughs> And, um, yeah, they're just having to figure out, you know, Captain Jack has got his orders and, uh, you know, just even thinking about that, you know, the the, the way communication was, they, they had no way of knowing what was going on at home or anything like that. And, Uh um, they just have, you know, the last orders that they were given, this is what they're doing. And, um... Yeah, it, I was I was just amazed. It just it it just seemed so real to me, and I was so engaged with the whole crew on this boat um, and the danger that they were in, and it was extreme danger. <laughs> um,
2: oh yeah, just
0: as stunning. You know, it's just like, why do people put themselves in this situation? You know, it's just amazing, uh, just amazing, um, but really engaging, really remarkable.
1: Well, yeah, and that is one of the things is during the lulls in them looking for the other ship or trying to resupply or whatever, you do get to know some of the other people on the ship. And you get to see daily routines of life, Mm, like when they're using the holy stones to wash the deck down and Mm -hmm. scrape it down or the the (laughs) low decks life, the superstition that takes over. Um, how, what kind of temperament do you have to have to be able to take it? Mm -hmm. And, um, and also, I don't know if this was surprising to you. It was to me when I encountered it, all these young boys on the ship uh,
0: and some of them were very young. Yeah. That did surprise me. Um, I assume was that normal? I wonder.
1: Yes. Uh, I was looking that up. It was a way to get them started into the command chain.
0: Yeah. And, and, and not only had, that but they seemed to be like you like you're alluding to um the uniforms that they were wearing seemed to make them a higher rank than most of the people on the ship right. and they were like 13 maybe i don't know yeah
1: well and different ones were at different levels of accomplishment so right, right. there's a few very, fairly young looking ones who we just see and at one point we get a glimpse of the captain giving them lessons in how to use a uh, sextant mm so they're being instructed all the time and taught, but they're also being used for things, run these messages back and forth. And as they get older, uh, Mr. Calumny, I think his name was, or Calumny, he um, is clearly on the track to being um, a lieutenant. And he's being given lots of responsibility on the way that you wouldn't expect for a kid that young, maybe in his early teens. But he's been doing this since however old.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And people tried really hard to get their kids into this. This was like, you know, getting into prep school or something. (laughs) Wow. So it's a tough life, but, you know, it's a good life, a prestigious life if you Mm -hmm. do well. And you see the dangers of it. Um, But you also see one of the things that interested me about this, um, and, and I guess that's about as much as we need to say about the plot. You see the captain and his friend. You see him leading the ship, you see these things. But it's basically about, do we catch this other ship or not?
0: Right. Yeah. That's it. That is it.
1: Mm -hmm. And if we can catch it whole and not sink it, it's a prize. Then it gets sold off, and they all get a share in the proceedings. That's Mm -hmm. why they're very excited about getting a prize, if they can. And so the thing that I liked, though, is it really takes a thoughtful, intelligent look at... Friendship, the friendship between the doctor and the captain, um, leadership, how is the captain leading on a lot of different levels, um, as well as these other things. And then there's the adventure part. Those were the three things I was thinking of. There's all kinds of yeah, other what, stuff. Which one we of the
0: things, about. yeah, one of the things I was thinking of is like, what is it that you admire? You know, mm. what is it that you put in front of yourself as the goal, um, because, yeah, C- Captain Jack and the kids, you know, and um, the the other crew people, you know, I thought that that was an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, C- Captain Jack really admired, um, who-, who did you say that that was? Um, Horatio Nelson. Yeah, Nelson, right.
1: He's got a statue in Trafalgar Square. Lord Nelson,
0: right. Yep, that's yeah, that's it. Won yeah, won the Battle of Trafalgar. Right. Yeah, and uh, he even, you know, Jack Aubrey was on a boat with him a couple of times, it sounded like. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I say, you know, on a boat with him, I'm I'm sure that that is insulting <laughs> to someone him. served on yes. a ship. You know, I don't know <laughs> what the proper terms are, but, um, but yeah, but it was clearly that that was an admiration and a, um, someone that he held up as the model.
1: And everyone else did. They're all saying, oh, mm-hmm. could, could we be so forward as to trouble you for an anecdote? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's got two times that Nelson actually talked to him. Mm hmm. One fairly inconsequential, but everybody enjoyed the story anyway.
0: Yeah, you yeah.
1: know, it's it's like, oh, you've met uh, President Obama or whoever. <laughs> Tell me about it.
0: Right, right. Well,
1: all he said was, "Pass the salt." Oh, really? <laughs> but my yeah. my hand touched his when I passed the
0: salt shaker. <laughs> you know that uh, kind of thing. Right. So
1: gentlemanly.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was cool. That was cool. Yeah, In, that uh, is
1: interesting. Mm-hmm. The idea of who are the heroes that we want to emulate Mm -hmm. because that's part of the problem with, um, poor Mr. I don't know if it's Mr. Uh, Hallam, the one who, the, he's not really suited for Mm -hmm. life on the ship. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's definitely one of the leading people, you know, commanding people, but he doesn't have the temperament for it. And the regular seamen want to find, a scapegoat for all their bad luck. And they said, well, there's a Jonah on board (laughs) and they pick him out because he's not good at commanding. And he's, he's just too sensitive seeming.
0: Yeah. And you know, you think that I'm assuming that he kind of went up through the ranks, like he started off as one of those younger kids and is now an extremely young adult, you know, um, Mm -hmm. but, but he's still, he's still very young. And in fact, he was the one, um, you know we saw his hesitation in leadership, you know, speaking of leadership and stuff he was uh very early on in the movie in charge he was looking through his um telescope or whatever they call it on a on a ship mm. and he saw the ship in the fog and then he wasn't confident enough to be sure you know or to act certain and um you know, they, they 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 woke everybody up, whatever the term is for that. I don't know all these nautical terms. But they, they woke everybody up and got the ship moving and the captain came up front and he was looking around and he said, are you sure? And he just couldn't be sure. Um, well, but it was there, o- you know?
1: Right. And mm-hmm. it's okay to not be sure. And it was just for a second because mm-hmm. one of the real geniuses of this movie is as you're watching, you care too.
0: Oh, yeah. You're yeah. like,
1: oh, my gosh, I think they're out there. Oh, oh. And so when he's watching through the telescope, we're looking at that fog bank just as intently.
2: Mm-hmm. And there
1: were a couple times where I was like, I think that's it. I think that's <laughs> it. And you finally, you see it and you go, there it is. Yeah. But it's disappeared. It's pulled back. And the thing that was interesting, though, was was it Tom Pullings, who was next to him, who came right up and said, what was it? Should we beat to arms? That's what right, it's that's called. Right, that's it, yeah. And because um, the drum beats, everyone can hear it all over the ship, and they know get Get ready. Something's going to happen. And um, I can't be sure. I can't be sure. So, he takes it and he looks and he's not sure. But he trusts that guy's judgment.
2: Mm-hmm. The fact
1: that he thinks he saw something. And so, he he's like, you should beat to arms. You should beat to arms or call to arms, whatever it is. And he's he won't do it.
2: He's
0: mm-hmm. unsure.
1: So, he turns around and does it. Yeah. He's like, I'm not waiting. Mm-hmm. And he's effective.
0: Yeah, he is effective. Yeah, and poor Hollem just isn't. Yeah. Like you were saying, he just... It's like I just can't I can't act on I can't be certain enough, you know. I'm not well, confident. And he freezes yeah.
1: yeah, he freezes up at a key moment when and, and it's a terrifying situation, but he could have gotten up there, maybe saved the guy who went down with the mast when it mm-hmm. collapsed. Um but he might have been up there with the guy. I mean, you know, none of us would blame him. But mm-hmm. everybody on the ship is like, We're all in this together. What you froze. Yeah you're partly responsible for this. Mm-hmm. And of course, then there's the mindset of when everybody's accusing you, how certain do you have to be of yourself that you start believing what they say hmm. or believe what you know is true? Because the midship, is it midshipmen, the young men, try to help him, especially Will, the one who loses an arm. He's a natural leader. You can see. It's like, oh no, you come and sit here. You do. That's fine. Don't worry about it.
2: Yeah.
1: yeah. And um, even though he's so much younger, and you see the captain then, who has obviously is more seasoned and everything, who is also facing doubts, but has to go out in command because if he dilly dallies or shilly shallys or whatever, <laughs> he's going to uh, lose any confidence of his men and any ability to act.
0: Yeah, and it's a hard uh, it's a hard task to keep all that together on this boat out in the middle of nowhere under extreme Mm -hmm. stressful conditions, trying to treat everybody in a way that um, keeps them together, you know, which is different for every person. Um,
1: Well, and they all have their expectations. Mm-hmm. Every class of people on that ship knows how they should be treated, how they should act, and what's appropriate. So um, sometimes keeping morale going is as much as saying, thanks for the model of this ship, an extra round of grog.
2: Mm. Yeah. Where all
1: these people mm-hmm. risk their lives to do something is extra grog for everyone. Or when after they've uh, honed their, taken time off of how fast they can shoot mm-hmm. and their practices.
0: Right. It's like
1: extra grog for everyone. Yay.
0: <laughs> Hooray. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's yep. a treat.
1: Yeah. Hurrah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's a treat. and But it's how you keep things going. Because at one point the doctor says, I would stop all the drink. And he's like, okay, super. Do you want me to have a mutiny <laughs> on my hands too?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that followed another moment, Mr. Hollum moment, where Mr. Hollum was uh, walking on the deck and somebody didn't give him the respect. And yeah. the captain witnessed that and had to act because he was trying to keep discipline on the ship. So right. he had to uh, put the person that disrespected Hollum into the brig, even though the guy that that guy was somebody who had just gone through something traumatic with the captain. Mm-hmm. You know, so but he still had to do it. And um, and again, that was Mr. Hollum, You know. Thinking possibly, well, I probably deserve that disrespect.
1: Well, that, and I think by then he'd just been beaten down. We've yeah, seen people yeah. being bullied. Mm-hmm. And this is a classic situation of that. And, you know, we see it from the outside and we understand the forces on both sides. Hmm. Um, one side isn't understanding enough, the other side understands too much in a way. Yeah. You know? And um, they can't can't get balanced out in time. Yeah, and so that's why I really appreciated the examples of, um, like, Tom Pulling's coming up and saying, but what did you see? How do you feel? You should do this. He's giving him a little bit of advice in the moment. Yes. Mm -hmm. Uh, Young Will, our one-armed boy, he also does the same thing. You know, he gives him a little bit of encouragement just through his natural personality, but also wanting to help somebody else.
2: You know, Mm -hmm.
1: they're they're leading in their own way. And even when the captain calls him in, he doesn't know quite how to counsel him. Because the guy is saying all the right things, but he's not, he can tell he's not acting in a way that shows he's absorbed it and can do it. Mm -hmm. But the captain's not there to give, you know, hold people's hands, necessarily. He's got a lot of stuff going on.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the more you bring up Will, the more I think, you know, yeah, Will is like the perfect example of... Um, balance. He's he's like right. uh, he's he would have been terrific, <laughs> or maybe he was in the future. I don't know. I don't know if he shows up in the books or what. But he's, oh yeah, he's, he's all through him. He's a, yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. but he's you know he just seems like a a a person that's perfectly suited to leadership.
1: Yeah, and when you look at him, he is the he's the result of both the doctor and the captain's guidance. Hmm. And in guiding him, both the captain and the doctor display a little more of who they are Hmm. because they will stop and explain things to him and they'll give him, the captain gives him great responsibility. Hmm. He's not allowed to be part of the boarding party at the end because he's only got one arm and he's so disappointed. And he's like, Oh no, you're running the ship. (laughs) I totally trust you. You can't physically do this thing, but I got to have somebody here I can trust. Mm -hmm. This kid looks like he's about 12, maybe.
0: Yeah, right.
1: And um, he says, and then you, then this and this, and when this happens, you have to be spot on. And at one point, Will says, okay, everything's gone south. Okay, we have to board the other ship. (laughs) And he leads the boarding party for those groups.
0: Yeah. yeah. And it works
1: great. But the captain trusted him to do it. And then on the other hand, you have the doctor who knows that he's got natural curiosity. He's he'll bring him a, here's the Galapagos beetle when he's, you know, he <laughs> can't get to the Galapagos, but here's this beetle that flew on deck, you know, and, but he'll help him because he's naturally kind. Also, he'll help the doctor collect things and kind of draw and do things, which also helps him because I'm, I don't feel that that's his dominant hand. <laughs> I think he lost his dominant arm.
0: Yeah. 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 He's just, he's good. I mean, I like that character a lot,
1: yeah, so mm-hmm. he is um he is learning how to be a man mm-hmm. and i think and and i've re- it's, it's not like I'm insightful, I read a lot of reviews, but one thing that everybody commented on is this movie looks at what does it mean to be a man,
2: mm. what
1: does it mean to be a leader, and in the way that the doctor and the captain have their conversations and sometimes arguments about how to do things shows all the ways they're thinking about it. They're not just blundering in and trying to kill a bunch of people. they are I mean, certainly the doctor is opposed to that, but what you don't know in the movie that you find out in the first book, the doctor is a spy for the English against the French. Mm. He's fighting the war in his own way. Mm -hmm. He just disapproves of all the, you know, the waste of life, and he knows battles have to be fought. So they kind of emphasize that, because these are the kinds of arguments that they have. But in their conversations, and in the way both of them interact, you see there's so many more layers and dimensions to being a real man Hmm. than there are to just the popular conception of men are terrible. Because they just want to go out and kill things.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Which would be the surface reading of this movie.
0: <laughs> yeah, indeed. It, it certainly could be. Yeah, yeah. The more you're mentioning, you know, these books, I, 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 these got to get on my list because that's just fantastic. Um, yeah. And the first one is called Master and Commander, I think.
1: Mm hmm.
0: Patrick O'Brien. Yeah. Right.
1: And it starts when Jack is being given his first command and. Um, he encounter He meets the captain, or I mean, he meets the doctor.
0: Hmm.
1: Says, "Oh, why don't you come with me? I need a doctor."
0: <laughs> How interesting! You know, I, again, it's hard not to draw the Star Trek parallel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but I, I think that these actually came after, or right around the same time. The, these particular books, not that the stories oh. that he was taking them from—I mean, those right. existed, obviously. So. Yeah.
1: Well, but the craftsmanship that turned these into a conversation mm-hmm. and a way to think about things. And, and of course, the Star Trek um, examples you keep mentioning are just the ones that we've looked at most closely. That's classic, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You
1: contrast and compare through conversation and friendship and how do people live together. This is how you learn what it means to be more fully human. And so this is, again, we come up with the community aspect How we interact with all levels of people, and this ship is a real microcosm crammed together, Mm -hmm. shows us who we are. And it shows us where is God working in our lives? Where are we not letting him in? When we react sharply to these people, are we stopping and taking enough care? Yes, it's the hurry of the moment, but I was noticing that um, even in the heat of battle, they're saying, please, please. And talking about Mr. So-and-so, and of course, these are manners that have been drilled into them to help them have their rituals to hang on to when times are chaotic and crazy. Mm. So, what are the places where we're asking for grace from God in our everyday lives? Mm. The please, the thank you, the um, the rituals that we're hanging on to that, you know, when there's moments of stress, the the virtues, I guess, that we would need that are like a muscle that we've exercised so we don't just go flying off the handle or whatever. Mm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful thoughts there. Yeah. This is like a, a concentrated humanity in this little Island at, at, on the ocean, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, there's no place to go. So, you know, the consequences of actions are heightened mm-hmm. because, you know, it's like you know I can't leave this place. So, what you know I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> confront that too. And which is, um, you know, funny. You know when you talk about monasteries and things, they,
2: you know, oh. they, they, they
0: say like when when you go on a silent retreat, um, it, it's. I I haven't been on one so and I think you actually have. But but the idea that you are, you are bringing yourself with you. It's not like you you are running for, from anything right anything that you yeah. have that you need to deal with doesn't disappear when you go on a retreat is my point it's, yes, it's, it's heightened. actually heightened right exactly same way as on this boat because <laughs> there's nowhere to go there's nowhere to go there's nothing to distract yourself with you know when you're when you're feeling something and something that God needs to tell you you can't say oh look at the, what's on TV right now you know, because it isn't there, right? It's so you, right. you're there to deal with and it. Yeah.
1: yeah, and you have to pay attention. And but um, also, though, you just made me think about when you said you can't distract yourself. There's nothing on TV, and I was thinking about all the people on this ship. There are very few who even have the resources to do that. Mm. None of this crew sit around and read books. Yeah. They play games together, you know, mm-hmm. they, they gamble, they do whatever it is. Um, they take pleasure in the work. They make games out of that. Mm-hmm. Um, competitions out of it, I guess I should say. But it's, um, yeah, which is how it's been throughout mankind's history for a lot of people.
0: Yeah, agreed. It's like, yeah, I wonder... I w- I don't know, you know, in today's world, you know, we're always talking about distractions and things. We're just constantly peppered with various things. The, the the things that are trying to get our attention are legion right now. And then, you know, we look at something like this, and it seems like the complete opposite, um, where, you know, it seems quite empty <laughs> of distraction. And um, I don't know, it, 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 it makes me think that we're in different times. I know that we say that um, you know, history repeats itself and, and uh, you know, we've seen everything under the sun and all that stuff. But things like this make me, f- it, it feels different to me than when I look at history. I don't know where else in history it's comparable to, you know, it, you can go days and days without having a deep thought.
1: Well, I think I think there have been plenty of times where there are groups of people in history who've been like this. Um I've been reading a book by Henri Daniel Rope, Rope, I guess. It's a 1950s or 60s history of the church right after, maybe for the two or 300 years after the crucifixion and resurrection. And he does a fantastic job of setting the context. So at one point he was talking about, here's what Roman society was like at the time well, of course you have your upper class, and of course they have a lot of money, and of course Mm. they're busy distracting themselves by not thinking about anything. And I guess I was kind of thinking about that when I was saying there were a lot of people who couldn't read or do whatever. Their their solace and uh, entertainment, everything was in the community, because this is the slaves, this is the working class, this is the whatever. Mm -hmm. And of course, throughout time, there have been the haves and have-nots, and if you get to a certain level of richness... You have this kind of behavior, and of course, we have a lot more than most people in the world. Mm-hmm. And if you go to Africa, it's not going to be like this.
0: True. Yep.
1: So part of what you're talking about is Western culture, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I but think
0: so right. too. But you're right, and mm-hmm. and
1: more people have access to that, and what are we doing with it? And because you're saying, you know, this ship has less distractions, but yet they're making their own distractions because you can't mm-hmm. just have nothing to think about, and. Um, you made me think of uh, the doctor and the captain. One of the things they love is music.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the doctor plays the cello, the captain plays the violin, and they, in spare time, when they're just sailing around, they'll get together with their music and they'll play duets.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: As Killett calls it, oh, I'm going to start scraping and making that awful <laughs> noise again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so, then it is, what do you fill your time with, and what is it good for? Which is kind of the question you're raising, just, Mm. I didn't let you get to the question part.
0: No, no. Um, We arrived at the same place. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because going on that silent retreat, it was three days, and I just thought, what am I going to do? Well, you know what? Plenty. Yeah. Because it was a concentrated, focused time. Mm Mm-hmm. But there weren't even talks. I mean, there was mass once a day, and they'd do a little talk afterwards sometimes because now we're going to have reconciliation, so we're going to talk about that or whatever. But um, the rest of the time, you met for about half an hour with somebody if you wanted a guided retreat, which I did. Mm-hmm. And they would give you some more to, questions to think about. And that's God used that to open everything up. Wow, It was yeah. amazing. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of what do you do with the time you're given no matter where you are, what your resources are?
0: Indeed. Um, Yeah. Right.
1: Because everybody wasn't learning to draw and go capture animals with the doctor. Just will was, (laughs) you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah And you'd imagine he was pretty happy to go do that. <laughs> right. And,
1: but you still see the older midshipman who got killed, Mr. Calamy, mm-hmm. who I can't remember his first name, and he was called Mr. Calamy because you know he was the third lieutenant, mm-hmm. and uh, but he was being given large levels of responsibility, and the captain trusted him implicitly, and he did it. But he seemed like a more shy, withdrawn kid, not as outgoing as will. Mm-hmm. But he still had come up through the ranks. You know, they'd hang out together. They'd do whatever. Mm-hmm.
0: Sure. So yeah.
1: we just weren't shown insight into all that stuff. I mean, it's like going to to a small town and going into the bar there, right?
0: Right. Yeah, exactly.
1: Who's playing darts? Who's just sitting mm-hmm. and talking? Who's watching sports on the TV?
0: Yeah. Yeah, telling each other their stories. Yeah. Right.
1: And yeah. that's a lot of it, telling each other their stories. And also, you know, you were talking about heroes. They all trust Lucky Jack, their captain. He can make things happen, and they he does.
2: Yeah, Cause yeah.
1: it's partly because it, at one point the doctor says, "Are you doing your duty, or is this for your pride?" Well, of course, it's for both. The duty gives him the excuse, but the pride is, "I'm not going to let this captain beat me." <laughs> And because he's determined and turns his mind to the task he's been given with all his resources, like we should do, mm-hmm. he wins, or he at least brings himself to the spot where they can win.
0: And that the very end was very cool too. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh. oh, it was almost joyful. You know, he's yeah. like, "Yeah, let's get after it again." <laughs> yeah, well,
1: it's that thing of um, you've realized as the doctor tells him. He fights just like you do. This is mm-hmm. why you can't beat him. He's one step ahead because he's just really thinking about it.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but they get out of fixes by using ingenuity, like that little fake ship <laughs>
2: that
1: looked like yeah. that gave a different perspective. Mm-hmm. So, the ship would follow it instead. Um And when he used, the other thing I liked is about all these people being together, where maybe a lot of them, they're all the same in one way, but they're different in so many ways, is him being exposed to the doctor's um, interests. of He learns about the stick bug and the camouflage.
0: Right, right.
1: And so he's able to take that idea and apply it larger.
0: Yeah, and I I love that idea, you know, because I'm I'm a pretty big believer in you know, uh, I guess you call it cross pollination (laughs) Mm -hmm. where, you know, if you have like somebody who's an artist that is also an engineer, um, Mm. is fascinating, you know, what they come up with or how they design things, you know, um, I just love that kind of stuff, but it's the same kind of thing here. Yeah. You know, but by being willing to learn outside of your area of expertise, uh, creates thoughts that may have never been thought before. You know, because, yeah. you know, you, you're encountering something in biology and something in, you know, computer science. And uh, somehow those things uh, can instruct one another. And I, I just love that. You, you see it over and over in science history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it used to be that everybody would kind of know almost everything that was known, right? You, you, could, <laughs> uh, you could in a lifetime read all the science books for example, up to a certain point in history, and then you, right. that was impossible. But, um, but yeah, whenever, I think whenever you see somebody who's, who's got this broadness, or this wide interest, there's a lot of interesting things that come out of that.
1: Well, and of course, that also brings up the conflict between the way today's education has gone, which is all career oriented. Mm, Yeah. I mean, kids as young as fifth or sixth grade are being asked, what do you want to do when you grow up? And then their education is being set around that. And I'm like, Mm. they don't know yet. Yeah. They haven't lived. And, um, then, because the idea is to be competitive and all this stuff in today's busy (laughs) society. Well, but then you have the small growing group of private schools or parents or whatever it is who, are saying, but what about the old-fashioned liberal education? Mm. Meaning, you know, read some of the classics, read some of the Greeks and Romans, read some philosophy. You don't just need science. And that's exactly what you're talking about, and that's where having a broader reach. Like, these two men loving music. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: however badly or well they do it, they're going to enjoy playing it. Mm. Yeah. Or as you say, you know, the naturalist thing and it cross-pollinates. And, and, you know, and what that does is open his mind to a new way of thinking because he obviously is super good at what he does, but he just charges ahead.
2: Hmm.
1: He's really good at, like they said, trust him to go 100 miles out of his way and come up behind the ship <laughs> we're trying to catch. So he's outsmarted that ship in seamanship.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But this yeah. French captain was way ahead of him because he camouflaged himself as a doctor.
0: Yeah, so they're both producing camouflage, right? Yeah, for sure. I love that. Yeah, yeah, that they both kind of did the same thing. That's neat. That is neat. Mm -hmm.
1: Right, and it's that, and it's the idea in our own lives too. Of you have to be broader. I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to embrace if you learn about a different religion or something. But you just have to look at it Mm -hmm. and go, Oh no, I know about that. All these people think this way, and they're informed this way. Mm-hmm. How interesting,
0: yeah, it's it's never wasted time. that's that's stuff that's good, <laughs> yeah right mm-hmm.
1: right. you have to you have to keep on your own course, like Captain Jack
0: right I'm catching that <laughs> ship, and
1: that's my course. <laughs> yeah, but all these other things can inform and broaden it and also just make life more fun, yeah, they're not playing that music to get something out of it. They love it. Mm-hmm. So what do we do that we love that's not just turning on the TV or? Um, playing a video yeah. game or well, what do we do that's real
0: yeah that that makes me reminds me of some things that Bishop Barron said about um, doing things for their own sake
2: mm. you
0: know where where you don't have this other motive it's like you know I, I learned to be an engineer so I could go to work so that I could have food. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? So you, you have these things that you do that have these motives, you know. But there are certain things that you do that uh, don't have that. And and what are those things, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, th- that's that's good to think about.
1: Yeah, And those are the things where you can learn. You, you eventually get to be skilled at them. And then you can broaden your horizons even further if you want. And I was thinking of, I think of cooking, um, which my parents did as a super fun hobby, kind of. I mean, you know, you, you cook to eat, but they just loved the gourmet cooking, this whole world that mm-hmm. they'd never known. Well, we were raised that way. Well, I was cooking for my family, but I would incorporate pieces of that. And now I look at how Hannah and Mark are feeding my daughter and son-in-law are cooking and feeding my one-year-old grandson and i'm like this is a kid who understands about salmon and edamame (laughs) but i'm the one feeding him mashed potatoes and chocolate pudding (laughs) Mm -hmm. and that's the captain and the doctor with his music you're doing it for the love of the thing they can't get music any other way so that's maybe why they do it but they also just love it
0: right yeah yeah for its own sake that's great
1: yeah what do you do for its own sake
0: I think um, I think that I I, I tend to fight. Um, how should I put this? It's like I, I fight this urge that I think has been ingrained that like I should always do things that are worthwhile. You know what oh, I mean? And I yeah. think that that is that is almost like a poisonous way to think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it gets me in spots sometimes. But things like reading um, that that to me. Is something that I do for its own sake, or I try to make mm-hmm. it for its own sake. Um, you know what we're doing here.
2: Um,
0: yeah. it, it, we we have no ulterior motive beyond you know, uh, you know, like we're going to be discovered or something. You know what I mean? It's a, uh, you know you <laughs> know what happening. I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> but it's like yeah. um, these are the things that I do for for its own sake. But I, I I say that knowing that there have been times in the past where I'm like. Well, why is it that I read? I ought to have a project. I ought to have some goal, you know, in mind, oh. and then um, I have to I have to push that aside and say, no, you know, I, I should do something for fun, <laughs> yeah. something for its own sake. But I am yeah. I do have those thoughts where it's just like you know this, um, you know, I'm 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 53 years old, so I have been you know recently in the midlife what is the rest of my life going to look like kind of thoughts and stuff. You know, so it's just like, oh, you know, well, what's the goal? You know, is it weird that I don't have one? Um, Those kinds of thoughts. So, um, but, and I think that that is society, you know.
1: But that's interesting because I'm 60, I'm going to be, golly. Okay, (laughs) I'm going to be 65 this year. Mm -hmm. And I have been suddenly thinking, oh, I got... Well, of course, any of us could go anytime. Mm-hmm. But when you're getting in this age, you start to go, Oh, now my mother's 87 and living with us. Her father lived to be 90. So, you know, it's not like I'm expecting to go anytime soon. But what you do is you suddenly go, Oh, crap. There mm-hmm. is an actual finite point in my life. And I've got 10, 20, 25 years left. What do I do in that time? That's a long time. When I stop and think back 10 years ago, can hardly remember stuff. I mean not because of my memory (laughs) but but you think back 10 years and you go oh okay so the kids would have been in their 20s and you know these things were happening and then you think back 20 years
2: Hmm.
1: oh these big things were happening then you know 2002 when this movie was out you know Mm -hmm. 2003
2: Yeah.
1: okay here were the big things happening what are the little things in my life and I've gone along without, you know, goals.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, This happened because it sounded like a good idea. But my goals always tend to be around. I mean, I have goals. I have my cooking goals for this year, which mm-hmm. are fun. And also, I'm really trying to do them. I have my reading goals, which is mostly this year, reading books that people have been pushing at me for years just to mm-hmm. get them off my back. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's how you find new books. And... But then I have my goals, and my goals for myself tend to be, how can I get closer to God? Mm-hmm. Which makes me sound real sanctimonious, but, you know, day to day, that ain't easy.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: So, it's, those are my little things that I work on. It's not the same thing as what you're talking about, but it kind of is wound around it.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, you know, and, You know. It ties into that book of Ecclesiastes stuff that we were talking about, too. Oh, um, gosh,
2: yes. You know,
0: so the, you know, th- that feeds into the discussion we were having earlier here in Master and Commander, too, with the, you know, uh, consequences and other things and, you know, sitting there and mm. having having deep thoughts and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But, but, yeah, but there, there is, you know, so ultimately God is the only thing big enough to fill that. Um, at least that's what I've found. Um, so, so these, these goals were, you know, what Bishop Barron was talking about. There are certain things that we do that don't have, you know, that we do for their own sake. Right. Um, Right. And and that's, that's, you know, that's good stuff.
1: Yeah. And I guess doing it for its own sake, of course, that's with God because Mm -hmm. you're never going to get more surprised than where you get led with that.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: So this in a way that I hadn't thought of before really kind of ties in with something that the filmmakers do that I thought was so thoughtful and surprising to me. This is something that my daughter Rose pointed out because she notices this stuff much more than I do. But because the characters are so tied up in their music, and this is a theme that's through all the books, so it's wonderfully shown in this movie, but the filmmakers took that and used it in a way you don't expect they will use these intertwined cello and violin themes in different places as part of just the musical score. Mm. And where it's really surprising most, I think, is when they're using it to show how one person is uh, being reflected or being thought of by another. So, for example, they're saying they're going to the Galapagos. We know the Doctor is super excited because it's a naturalist dream. And as we're seeing the ship go and the islands come up, only the cello is playing. Mm. This is Dr. Matarin's moment. (laughs) Right?
0: Right. And Jack
1: Mm -hmm. knows he would love to go there above anywhere else they could get to.
0: Yes. Mm -hmm. All
1: right. Then Mm -hmm. another example is when Stephen later is walking around. He's wounded, but he's walking around. And he's going to go to the other side of the island, and then he sees that French frigate, and it's like, oh, crap. I'm going to give it up. We're going to let everything go. We're not going fast enough. i got to get back there and tell Jack this is his goal, the violins playing the whole time.
2: Hmm.
1: It's not about Stephen. It's about Jack. And we're watching Stephen, but he's thinking about Jack. It's being done for Mm. Jack.
0: Very nice. Yeah. yeah, That's a cool thing. Mm -hmm. uh,
1: Yeah, so when you watch it like this, it adds this real depth because it's, the score doesn't matter if we don't notice these things, right? Great Mm -hmm. movie making with these details doesn't. But what it shows us is that the movie makers love the story and they love the characters on a deep level. Hmm. And the way they're telling the story, they're using everything at their disposal.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And... Yeah, and so what it made me start thinking about is what we were just talking about with doing things for their own sake. and But the benefit of doing something for its own sake is what you learn about yourself and what you learn about the people you may be involved with at the same time.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So
1: this is how these two guys, through doing their music and the give and take and the them playing together, this is how they learn to know and love each other on a whole different level, and it made me think of. Um, you said that reading and oh gosh, uh, doing this podcast were things you do for their own sake,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and in a sense, that's that's definitely true. I know that, but we're also doing this as a way to kind of show: here's how you think more deeply. Here's how the Christian can look at these things. We have other motives. But the thing I thought of that you do or, or have done is work on those community plays. Mm. You do mm. that for its own sake because you love it. You may do it because, oh, your daughter was in a play or whatever. But you were doing the lighting. You may have acted. And I've heard the joy in your voice when you talk about that. And that's something that you're getting something from working with all those people, but also what you contribute. mm you take away a joy that is the joy of doing it for its own sake.
0: Yeah, that's nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you're definitely right. Um, as you're talking, it makes me think of uh, another Robert Barron moment, another Bob Barron moment. Okay. Which feeds right into this. Because he, he said that um, – he was talking about marriage, actually. Oh. And he said that um, – I can't I, – I think it was Aristotle he was talking about who said that you when you have two friends – they become closer when they both fall in love with a transcendent third.
1: W- oh. Which means
0: like, if if you share a love of music, it brings the friends closer.
2: Right. Right.
0: right? And um, so like here in this podcast, you know, we, oh. we, we share an interest, right? And that brings us closer in this third interest. You know, and that third interest can be, uh, you know, religion or country or, in plays or whatever and and for these guys in this um in this movie it's that music and that third thing holds them together
1: what a great point and to mention the podcast because that is the place where it's kind of like when i was talking about cooking which is a necessity of some sort mm-hmm. but my enjoyment of it goes way past that and This podcast does the same thing, and we've said many times uh, that our friendship has become so much more than it would have been otherwise. We'd have just been casual internet friends.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, And now we're really good, true, solid friends.
0: Agreed, yeah. And it's that
1: transcendent third,
0: you're right. Right. That is. It's really great. I love that you brought up the theater, because, yeah, that's that's a fantastic thing, because... That happens, And it, it ties into what we were talking about um, with the war stuff, too. And, and wondering, you know, you can't help but wonder it, how you would be in that situation. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, when you do something with a group, you know, I think you can taste a, a little bit of that. I mean, it, clearly I wasn't in any danger. But the, mm-hmm. the, the, the working together in a group and for a common goal um under stress um, is is interesting. Um,
2: yeah
1: and I've experienced that. It makes me think of the beyond cana retreats
0: yeah yeah which You've we've, we've done for so and
1: long and mm-hmm. there's a core group of people that we all are much better friends than we would have been just knowing each other casually.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Even people you don't care about as much as the others because you can't love everybody equally. You still like them on a much deeper level because you've been through accomplishing this task together. Mm-hmm. And of course that's different. You're right. That's different than the, the playing of music, but it achieves kind of a similar goal to the community theater thing.
2: Yeah, sure You does. have
1: to do mm-hmm. this thing and it's the teamwork element and it's, why are you giving yourself to this?
0: Right. Wow, yeah. Yeah. Fascinating, yeah. (laughs) Who'd have thought that this movie would bring us to this place? Um, But I I love it, yeah. How great. Yeah, that that, that friendship is fascinating between those two. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: It is the facet of so many interesting observations and um, conversations, and they just can show a little of it in the movie, and I'm sorry to keep referring to the books, but... Mm -hmm. Um, the movie did such an excellent job of encapsulating that that's great, and yeah, and you really get that sense of friendship, and they're so different, and they have the same goal. Let's defeat the French. How do we do it? What are the methods we use? You know each one brings their own skills. Stephen Maturin, though we don't see it here is a spy, of course, the captain is a man of action, a man of war, so
0: cool. Yeah, I, I've got to read those books. Um, you have, you have, yeah. You've clearly, you know, you and uh, some other folks too uh, have said before, hey, these these books, you'd like these. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I need to jump in. <laughs> yes. Yeah, nice twenty book series. <laughs>
1: oh my gosh! Yeah, start now so you can finish before you die. Right. That's
0: right. <laughs> <laughs> at the rate of one book per month or whatever oh uh, my shoot. gosh we that's can get too much in. that's too many that's too many <laughs> for
1: <All> me right. <laughs> for me
0: that'd be too much so i'm just curious are these big books what what uh, kind oh, yeah. of size are they? they're big ones okay
1: yeah i'm trying mm-hmm. to let me see here really quick um Oh yeah, so the first one is four hundred and sixty-four pages. Ah,
0: okay. Buckle up! <laughs> Buckle up! <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so about a thousand pages every two books. Yeah, that's that's a lot. <laughs> Ten thousand yeah. pages. Fantastic.
1: And, right, and you know, of course, he was writing what, however long it. He wrote it over a long period of time. So, any fans of the series were left with a nice waiting period in between, and. As I've said, I'll read one or listen to one, which is my preferred method, and and then I'm so excited. I want, I want to read another one, and I might read one or maybe two more, and then I'm like, oh, no, I've had enough. I'm done, mm-hmm. and it might be a couple of years before I pick them up again, and then I do the same kind of pattern.
0: Oh, that's cool. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Love it, though. Yeah, I definitely need to. I mean, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, so is there anything else you want to say about this wonderful movie?
1: Well, I think that last bit was my final thing I remembered, so we crammed it all in there.
0: Excellent. <laughs> yeah. And thank you again. I mean, it, it really was great. Um, oh,
1: I'm so glad.
0: Thumbs way up, yeah. I'm so glad. Yeah, another pool room movie. My pool room is full. <laughs> There's so uh, much stuff in there.
1: <laughs> best way to have a pool
0: room. That's right. I love it. All right, and what's next for us? Um Y'all. Njal's Saga. Oh.
1: Yeah, I was saying Njal. Njal. So thank you, Njal's Nyal. <laughs> okay. Saga,
0: yes. Yeah, I'm pretty okay. sure I'm pretty sure that's how it's pronounced. But anyway, yep, yeah, I've, Viking Saga. I started
1: it. It's okay. a very different kind of storytelling for anybody who's getting ready to read it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm liking the episodes, but I'm having trouble keeping track of everyone. So I'm doing yeah. as if it were an Indian movie. I'm letting it wash over <laughs> me and see who sticks.
0: That is perfect way to do it. I love it. Yeah, yeah, like an Indian movie. Um but yeah, those <laughs> names and stuff, yeah, you just need to let them wash over you and and what w- the connections you notice, you notice. That's <laughs> That's the best way.
1: Well, yes. And some of those uh, ladies, as a lady, I can say this, they need a tight slap. Speaking of Indian movies,
0: (laughs) they're the worst. Hal Gird needs a tight slap. (laughs) That's the best.
1: Oh, man. I know. Mm -hmm. And I just have to, spoiler alert, I just got to this one spot where someone wants to marry her. And she's like, well, (laughs) I have to warn you, I'm kind of hard on the guys I'm
2: in my life. And I mean, Uh, like,
1: hard. We're reading it going You've had them killed? I mean, is that what just <laughs> that hard? Is that oh, what man. that definition means? You I know, love and that, so I'm yeah. just reading this going,
0: My goodness, lady. Oh shoot. I love and that so much. And her know. dad is like, Are you sure? Are you sure? <laughs> 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 Have you heard the and stories? He had- I just, you know, I like you, but I don't want to, you know. But
1: I do like you, and so therefore I want to warn you about
0: my daughter.
1: She's super great. Uh. But. And then and then some more friends and brothers and things come in, and they go, okay, well, now sit down. We want to really tell you what she's really like. And they have her come in, and she's like, okay, I'm going to seriously lay it on the line. Here's all the stuff.
2: Oh, my <laughs> He's gosh. Like,
0: yeah. And I'm
1: like, she must have been a looker, had a heck of a personality, because he's like, yeah, that's
0: fine, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing that she was so good looking. That's my guess. I think well, it, it I, actually says that. Yeah, yeah. well, so yes. good looking. Yeah, that's yeah. funny. Yeah, oh, I love it. I love it. It's and the, it, age it, old the whole story thing is like there. that. It makes you laugh yeah. and makes yeah. you. There's some it, wonderful scenes in this thing.
1: It really does. Mm-hmm. It really, I cannot wait, and I won't spoil this, to talk about Queen Gunnhild and her curse. I mean, <laughs> oh. I looked at that curse and went, oh, this is the funniest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. So anyway.
0: <laughs> I love it. I can't wait to talk about it. That'll yeah, be fun. This is
1: going to be great. All so right. just kind of push on, pretend it's the Old Testament, just kind of <laughs> let the names wash over you and just keep going.
0: That's right. That's right. Yeah. Perfect advice. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. Yes. All right.
1: I hope hope you enjoyed the movie, and we'll talk to you again soon.
0: <laughs> All right. See you soon. <laughs> bye bye.